And the scripture reading for today is from Haggai 2, 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Let us pray. Father God, we just humbly come before you today, and we just thank you, Lord, that we can boldly come before your throne, that we can seek your face, and we can come without condemnation because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I just ask that you would speak your uh, words through Daniel, that you would bless them to reach the hearts of, of those that are here, whether they are those that know you already or those that do not yet. But we just ask that you would do a mighty work by the power of your spirit to bring forth um, renewal and redemption and um, just cleansing of our hearts so that we might walk out of here changed and ready to um, worship you this day and to give you the glory for all that you have done. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, judging from last week to this week, I know I can always pride myself on the fact that I preached one time and the congregation doubled in size, all right? That is every preacher and pastor's dream that that would happen. So I will take that as a fond memory here at Aletheia Gainesville. Um, and because that is the case, I need to introduce myself just briefly to you guys. My name is Daniel Espy. That was my lovely wife, Leah. We have four kids running around here as well. And I am the new staff pastor here at Aletheia Church. Uh, we have been in town all of three weeks. The, the, the shortest version of the story is I'm an Auburn grad with a degree in dirt who planned on managing golf courses my entire life, who God somehow convinced to follow him his last year of college. I managed golf courses for a few years. I went to Africa as a missionary. I met my wife as a missionary in West Africa. We ended up at seminary. When the, for the last 12 years, we planted and pastored a church in Seattle, Washington. And now we have moved as almost as far to the opposite and other side of the country, weather-wise, culture-wise, and all the other wises you can think of to come and be here and live in Gainesville, Florida until the Lord sees fit. 
So, with that being said, let's jump into today's passage. If you haven't been with us, I want to recap where we've been. We are in the book of Haggai, so if you want to go ahead and find that in your Bible, if you go to Matthew and go backwards three books, that's where you can find Haggai. It's all of two whole chapters. Now, the very first week that we taught on the book of Haggai here at Aletheia, Brent Smith, one of our elders, did a wonderful job opening this passage for us. And Brent challenged us with a very powerful question. He asked us, whose kingdom are you building? Are you building God's kingdom in your day-to-day life, or are you building your own kingdom? And the reason he asked us this question was because the, this first passage in Haggai forces us to examine our priorities. And what we saw was that the people had continually rebelled against God. The nation of Israel has this long history of rebelling against God. So finally, God sends them off into exile. Nebuchadnezzar comes. He overtakes the kingdom of Israel. He takes the people off into exile. And 50 years into that exile, God raises up a king named Cyrus, and he sends the people back to Jerusalem with one task to rebuild the temple. So the people go. They They get back, and the very first thing they do is they rebuild the altar because the altar was key for sacrifice. It was key for worship. In order to meet God and for him to be present there, in order for their sins to be atoned for, they rebuilt the altar. And then immediately they got to work in laying the foundation of the temple. But as soon as they laid the foundation of the temple, they met some opposition. And when they met that opposition they decided that rather than pressing in on what God had called them to do and building his kingdom, they had decided, okay, we're just going to stop because it got hard for a moment. And this is where we enter into the story 15 years later. So they laid the foundation of the temple, and it sat dormant for 15 years. But over that period of 15 years, the people said, well, we're not building the temple anymore and the temple has some really nice resources god sent us back with all of these amazing resources to build this temple but since we're not doing that anymore let's take some of these resources and let's build our own houses out of these materials intended for god's temple and so god in this point in the story he levels the accusation against them hey why are you building your own paneled house instead of building my house You guys need to consider your ways. You need to consider which kingdom you are building because currently you are building your own houses instead of my house that I have called you to build. As he challenges them to consider their ways and how life has been going for them, he says, look, guys, just look at what's going on around you. You you know my promises from the covenant. You know that I want to pour out blessing upon you, but that requires obedience to my laws and my commands. And if you did not follow those commands, you know that there would be consequences. Look at your lives. Look at this meager harvest you have had for the last 15 years. Look at the wind and the rain that have come at inopportune times and destroyed your crops. Look at your pockets. They have holes in them. And the reason is because I, the Lord your God, have put the holes in your pockets. I have sent the rain as a consequence for you not being obedient to the mission and to the task that I have given to you as my people. 
And in what is one of the most unique passages in all of Scripture, the people actually repent and turn to be about God's mission. They begin to rebuild the temple. There is some fire. There is some fervor. The people get excited to take on this task of rebuilding God's temple as he has called them to do. Now, from there, from week one, we jumped into week two, where last week I looked at Haggai chapter two, verses one through nine. And this sermon that Haggai preaches to the people and the sermon that I preached took place on a very special day in the Jewish calendar, something called the Feast of Tabernacles. But it took took place on the last day of that great feast. It's called the Great Feast. It was supposed to be a great celebration about all the harvest that had come in over the spring and over the summer and through the early fall so that they were going to have enough food for the winter. But yet, as the people looked around them at this pitiful and meek harvest, as they looked around to the dilapidated temple, knowing that its, former, that its current glory would never match up to its former glory, God sends Haggai to preach to them once more. And he says, listen, I want you to remember what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. All feasts have three aspects, past, present, and future. They were focusing on the past temple and how glorious it was. But that's not what they were supposed to focus on in the past for the Feast of Tabernacles. They were supposed to focus further back to God's deliverance in the wilderness where for 40 years he fed them, he gave them water, he gave them clothes, and he gave them shelter. That is what they were supposed to remember. They were supposed to be celebrating the present, but they weren't because the harvest was so meager. But they were also supposed to look toward the future, to this great coming king and the wedding supper of the Lamb as we describe it in the New Testament. But because of their looking to the past and looking at the present, they had no hope to look toward the future. And so God says, you continue in this work because one day the treasure of all nations will come into this temple and the glory of this temple will be greater and it will surpass anything that Solomon ever built with all the gold, with all the silver, with all the bronze in the world. Because one day, Jesus Christ himself would walk into that temple, and in that moment, it would become more glorious than all the material possessions in the world could make it look beautiful. From there, we now jump into this third message in Haggai. Now, before I read this for you and before I explain it, I have a a very simple illustration for us this morning so that we can understand what is taking place in this passage. In my hands, I have a cup of clean water and a clean of dirty water with uh, some things that you probably would not want to drink, right? No one would have a problem drinking this cup of water. Now, If I take these two cups and I pour some clean water into this dirty water, does this dirty water become clean in any way, shape, or form? Thank you very much. (laughs) See? Now let me explain something. I, I explained to the group last week. I understand this is not your classroom, okay? I actually like a little participation. It helps uh, further the lesson and get it entrenched to your mind so you can actually respond. Now, the trick will be when I ask you a question, is it a real question or a rhetorical question, all right? That's going to be the trick as we develop our relationship. Now, with this, 
What happens when I pour dirty water into the clean water? It gets dirty, all right? So we see the principle at play here. No matter how much clean water I pour into the dirty water, it's never going to become clean. But with just a little bit of the dirty water into the clean water, it becomes dirty, correct? Okay, so that's the illustration that Haggai uses, but he uses the Old Testament law that they were very familiar with. So I'm going to explain that law, but I wanted to give us a little bit of just a simple word picture in our minds so that we can see what's taking place in this passage. So let's jump right into Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so, it, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So what we see is Haggai asking the priests about ceremonial law. In the Old Testament, there's 613 commandments that governed the nation of Israel morally, ceremonially, and civilly as a government. When the people would take animals to be sacrificed, the priests were then allowed at times to take meat from the sacrificed and give it to themselves and to them family, their families for food. When they did this, this was considered holy meat, consecrated meat, clean meat. So what Haggai asked them is, if you as the priest take this holy meat, this consecrated meat, and you wrap it up and you take it and you touch something that is unclean, does the cleanness of that meat transfer over to what is unclean? And of course, the answer is no. But on the other hand, if someone who touches a dead body, and in that day and age, if you came in contact with a dead body, you had to go outside the camp and be removed from the rest of the community for seven whole days so that you could become purified and become clean. If a person who has come in contact with a dead body touches something that is clean, does it now become unclean? And the answer is yes. Okay, so the principle is, if something that is clean touches something that is unclean, it does not become clean. But if something is unclean and touches something that is clean, it does become unclean. Is that now as clear as mud? Yes, okay. So, so this is what we are saying. But you have to understand, now you've got to imagine, you're the, you're the nation of Israel, right? So God has leveled this accusation against you about building your paneled houses. He's told you to consider your ways. You have repented of those ways. You're now about three months into the task of rebuilding this temple. And then God comes and levels this accusation against you in verse 14 that says, So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. 
And what they offer there is unclean. And so at some point, you've got you've to imagine the shock upon their face. It's like, dude, God, I mean, come on. You, we, we are doing what it is you are asking of us, yet you seem to be this stern taskmaster who is not pleased with what is our effort before you. But as we go deeper into the passage, and we go deeper into the language and deeper into the context, what we realize is taking place is that the attitude of the people was this, that mere contact with the temple would make them clean in God's sight, while in fact, they are living in sin. Their hope was that the holiness of the temple would rub off on them in their lives. But on the contrary, God says, their sin is desecrating the temple itself. So even though they have begun to obey the Lord by working on the temple, their work is unclean because of sin in their lives. So here is now where we take our first pause in the passage. And we make application to us as we sit here gathered as this body this morning. Over the last few weeks, you've been challenged to get your priorities in order. That for the coming semester, that for the coming year, that for the rest of your life, you would prioritize your life around the building of God's kingdom rather than putting your kingdom as the priority as you live and move and breathe each day. You've been challenged to maintain your focus, to recognize and realize that, you and you know how this is going to go. Right now, life is all fun, life is all good, you're so excited about school, at least most of you are, and three or four weeks in, the tyranny of the urgent is going to take over, and life is going to become crazy, and all the things you said you were going to do, all the promises you made to God and to your parents and to your girlfriend and boyfriend and everybody else in the world is going to go right out the window when you get smacked in the face with three tests on the same day, right? You, you, you know this is coming. The tyranny of the urgent always comes and tries to ruin us. So as you've been challenged with these priorities and with this to make focus, the question is, are you ready to really undertake that endeavor? Are you really ready to step into that? Are you really ready to go? And the question is, do you want God to be with you? Because remember, God's promise to the people was what, that what, I am with you. And with that comes this challenge that we have to go one step deeper into our building of God's kingdom. And we have to ask ourselves today, did we come in here today hoping that contact with God and with his people this morning would make us clean from something we've done this past week? Did we come in here today hoping that we could become and be made clean by something we've done over the summer? Is there hidden sin in your life today that you are really hoping no one finds out about or no one wants to 
no, no one knows about, that, that you don't want to deal with, and you're, you're hoping that, yeah, I did this thing, but my, my goal in being here today and my goal in church today is that I can tabulate enough on the good scale to override the sin that I know is in my heart and in my life that God has really been wanting to deal with in me over the summer and over the last week. And again, we, we all know how this goes. We know that when, that when we sin in our lives, that, that when we do things that we know God's word forbids, one of the immediate things we want to do is we want to be made clean. And one of the most tempting things in the world is to say, all right, I've done this thing, so now I need to make up for this bad thing that I have done. I have to do more good than bad. I need to somehow balance the scales, tip the scales back in my favor so that God would look upon me favorably. And so we can do that by going to church. We can do that by just trying to read our Bible by getting into community group, by helping 25 little old ladies cross the street during the week. Whatever you can try to do to blot out this stain on your soul that you are carrying around. Maybe some of you are, are hiding pornography on your phone. Like, like, like you know it's there. You know you've been looking at it this week and you were hoping to come in here and that somehow this would make you clean, that you as an unclean thing could touch this thing that was clean and you would be made clean. Maybe it's covetousness and, and envy and jealousy from being on Facebook and Instagram this week and, and comparing yourself to others and what they have by what you don't have. And so you find yourself not only asking yourself, well, why do they have that? I should have that. What is it that might be in your life that you are holding on to, that you know God wants to deal with today, but, but you might hear him say to you because you came with that attitude, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. And so though Haggai is talking to one group of people, at this point I need to address two different groups of people in the room. There are those of you here in this room who are not yet believers in Jesus Christ. You have not decided that Jesus is worthy of your worship and your following and setting everything else aside in order to follow him. And having been a missionary and a pastor for the last 20 years and had conversations in countries all over the world around this subject, I know that the, the plight of, of the American individual is when I, and I've asked this question many times, when you die, are you going to heaven? And the answer 99% of the time is yes. And then the follow-up question always is, Why? And the answer always is, because I'm a good person. And what that person is saying to me and to you is that somehow my good is going to outweigh my bad. That somehow I, as an unclean human before a holy God, can somehow make myself clean by doing good things. And to this, Jesus gives a very sharp rebuke and answer to a group who thought the exact same things in the scripture. 
Now, the people we were just talking about sometimes are religious or sometimes not. But this group of people, the Pharisees, they were incredibly, incredibly religious. And so they had added on commandments upon commandments upon commandments to God's original 613 commandments because they wanted to be clean. And Jesus, to the most clean people externally who had done more good and more right than anybody else on planet earth he says to them in Matthew 23:26 you blind pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean so the same principle is here is true with Jesus as it is with Haggai. Externally, you cannot become clean by coming in contact with clean things. You must have cleanness transferred to you. Now I'm going to show you something here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And, and, and if there's nothing else you, you take from today... May, may this be the image of Jesus that gets stored into your mind. And you need to understand what takes place right here. I mean, you can put the entire narrative of the person and work of Jesus in these three verses. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, you've got to understand that right here we see Jesus engaging the entire person. You need to understand that when a person contracted leprosy in Jesus' day, the moment they, they, they got cut in some place and there was no feeling in that, they had to go report it to the priest, and they were immediately sent to the leper's colony. And from that moment on, they were ostracized and cut off from society for the rest of their lives. So this man, however long he had had leprosy, had had no contact with any other human being, no physical touch, no contact in any way, shape, or form with any other human being who was clean except some of the lepers in the leper colony. And so Jesus, when he reaches out, and in one aspect, he touches the man and he heals him relationally. He re-engages with his physical touch. But you have to understand, in that moment, exactly what we see take place in Haggai, the reverse is now taking place in the person and work of Jesus. This is what makes Jesus amazing and wonderful and worthy of follow. Because who is Jesus? He is the clean thing. What is he touching? The unclean thing. By the principles according to Haggai, guy who should become defiled Jesus but what happens Jesus transfers his cleanness he transfers his righteousness into that man by healing him with his touch this is why the people were amazed at Jesus because you weren't supposed to do these things because they knew if you touch someone with leprosy you in turn would contract that leprosy but here was this guy walking around making all these claims touching all of these lepers and healing them and he was not contracting their diseases but in fact he was transferring his cleanness to their uncleanness and so if you sit here today as a not yet follower of Jesus you need to understand this is the only way that you can be made clean is for Jesus Christ himself to touch you with the presence of his spirit and to clean you not on the inside, but to clean you from the inside out. 
And that is what makes Jesus so beautiful and so wonderful, so glorious and so worthy of following. And so if you are here today, you need to know that Jesus is willing to make you clean. Now let me speak to the believers in the room. When we talk to believers, there's two ways we have to think of our being. We have to think of it as our standing and our state. Sometimes we call this our position and our condition. But the moment that God touches you with the Holy Spirit, the moment that you confess your sin, you turn from your sin, and and Jesus becomes Lord and ruler and master of your life, something takes place inside of you that is nothing short of a miracle. That when God's presence touches you, it literally transforms you from the inside out. And in that moment, you go from being that unclean thing to now the Lord your God looking at you as one who is clean all of your days. That when he looks at you, just I always imagine it this way. If you, you growing up, Halloween time, you put a sheet over your head, a white sheet, right, to go around as a ghost. So just imagine this white sheet that maybe you wore as you run around as a ghost as a kid. That the moment you do that, that you are now covered in this white righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so for the rest of your life, in your standing before God, you are declared righteous and holy in his sight, no matter how much you sin, no matter how far you get off the path, you are declared holy and righteous by the Lord your God in your standing. But that does not mean that your hands don't get dirty. That does not mean that there are times when you really find yourself in the muck and in the mire of your own accord. And so, if you are here today as a follower of Jesus, take note of what James, Jesus' brother, says to the church. If you come in here knowing there is sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, and you hope that just coming in here today by touching something clean, that you would in turn have your hands washed clean. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember, as we've been talking, two kingdoms. Double-minded, two kingdoms. Let's be honest. The way we mostly live our lives is, God, these are all my plans, hopes, and dreams, and I want you to come alongside me and bless me in all my plans and hopes and dreams. And as long as you do that, I will gladly follow you. I will gladly go to church. I will gladly go to Bible study. I'll go to community group. I'll be involved in the campus organization as long as you bless all my hopes, dreams, and desires. That is being a double-minded person. Because a singularly-minded person submits all those hopes, dreams, and desires to God's kingdom. Now, you can still pursue every one of those things in your life, but the priority must be God's kingdom in the living and moving and being and breathing and doing of all of our days as we pursue the gifts and the passions that he has given us.
Though God calls them out on their sin, and though you may be sitting in here right now feeling the weight of your sin this morning, and you're going, I really wish he would stop this right now. I just want to get through with this. I want to get out the door because the heaviness of God's word is upon my heart, and I do not like it. I do not. Don't miss what comes next. Because... We've seen how God feels about sin. We've seen how God feels toward people who are hiding sin in their hearts, but externally trying to be righteous. But understand that that is not the end of it. And so for for many of us having, I mean, I'm from Alabama. I, I grew up with the best Southern Baptist legalism money can buy, okay? I mean, like I, like I get it. I was raised on all the rules. I will never forget my freshman year of high school. I brought on a cassette tape. You know what that guy? You know what that is? You know? Okay. I brought in on a cassette tape the first album by Boys to Men, Cooley High, Cooley High Harmony. Come on with it. Come on. Come on. I thought I was going to get thrown out of the house. Because how dare would I bring that devil music into my parents' home? I'm telling you, I was raised in Southern Baptist legalism. And so some of you were raised by angry fathers. Let me just say to the guys in the room, the reason you want to learn how to become a good man is because your children, what your children think of you is how they will think of God their entire lives. Whatever picture you have of God, I can promise you right now, is the the picture you have of your dad. Dad, you have that much power and influence given to you by God. And that's why it's so important we we get on the right path and walk with him and understand because we truly do hold the hearts of our children in our hands. And some of you see God as this stern taskmaster who is mad at you, who is angry at you, and is just looking at with every opportunity he can just to smite you with his sovereign right hand. But, But you need to see... How, how this passage turns, though God calls them for their sin, that the, the heart of God is not to punish us for our sin. Though there are consequences to that, the heart of God is exactly the opposite of what we have many times experienced when we've stepped out of line with our fathers in our own lives. Look, look, at, look at what he says. Look at how tenderly and compassionately and mercifully God says this to the nation of Israel in verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward. Now remember the first, remember the first charge, consider your ways. Once again, consider. Take a moment, take an inventory of your life and what's going on. Consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When? One came to a heap of 20 measures, but there were 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hell, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward 
What did I teach you last week? Anytime something is repeated and twice and in brackets, you better really pay attention to what's being said. God here repeats himself just like he did the first time with consider your ways. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. You you, you have got to see the heart of God in this. God's heart is not to punish us. God's heart is to bless His children. As one with four children, I can speak that, that yes, there are times that I lose my mind with my children. But that is not my heart. I don't desire that. I desire to bless my children. I would much rather take my children out for frozen yogurt with M&Ms and chocolate sauce than I would deal with them and give them discipline by putting them in their room or any other form of punishment they, they might receive. That is never fun. My heart is to always bless my children. But that blessing is not always just in doing fun things and giving them everything they want. Because there are times in our lives where we need discipline. There are times that, and the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 1, that like a good father, God disciplines those that he loves. And so you need to understand, God's heart is not to punish you. God's heart loved you in such a way that it was to punish his son so that he would absorb the wrath that you and I deserve for our sin. You sit here today with this God who desires to bless you. But you do have a great impact on how that blessing comes into your life or doesn't come into your life based on your building of his kingdom rather than your own. And so I I hope and pray that as you consider this passage today, that as you hopefully look at it throughout the week, you see this God who desires to bless you. And so for for those of you who are not yet believers and not yet followers of Jesus, you need to understand that the greatest blessing that God could ever bestow upon you is making you in right standing with himself and giving you the person of Jesus to you, that his presence would come and dwell in you, forever securing your standing before him so that one day when you pass from this life into the next, you would go into his presence. And believers, you need to understand that though you have hopes and dreams of many things, you have already been given the greatest blessing in the entire world. But even in light of that blessing, God is so good and so wonderful that he actually desires to continue to pour out blessing on us all of our days. But to do that, it requires hands and hearts that are continually submitted to him. And so if you have hidden sin in your heart and hidden your life and on your phone and on your computer and stashed wherever you may put it, today is an invitation to turn from that. I want to leave you with these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. For they sum up 
the book of Haggai in a powerfully profound way. Jesus, in his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, says to the people, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, reap, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing and this semester and the next semester and graduating and a career and whether or not you're married and how many children you're going to have? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The Gentiles, the world, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father know, knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Guys, I just want to tell you, though I am not an old man, I've lived a little bit of life. And I have seen people chase everything under the sun. But I will promise you the thing that I have seen for those who truly seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is added unto them. In greater ways than you can ever imagine. In, in your relationships, in your spiritual life, Financially, I have seen God do amazing and incredible things for people who will seek first his kingdom. And this is one of the promises of God. And you, you, you have to understand this. There, there are promises in the Bible that don't apply to you. This is one promise I wish all of you would take for the rest of your days. Because for the rest of your life, you get to hold Jesus to his word. And you get to say, Jesus, you said and there is something powerful about holding on to and knowing that Jesus has to do what he said. And he promises that if you will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You see that? It's not, it's not just the work. It's not just the external work on the outside, but it's the righteousness on the inside. Just like God is addressing here. It wasn't just the building of the temple, but it was also about the internal righteousness. It's the external work and the internal righteousness. And Jesus promises you today, 
And he promised every human being on that day that if you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else would be added unto you. That is the heart of God toward each and every person in this room. If you will turn from your sin and come to Jesus. With that being said, I'm going to invite the band back up. Now, something we're going to do that's a little bit different that everybody got a little bit of practice with last week is that I like to give us a few moments to reflect and to respond, okay? Um, But also, I'm going to go ahead and ask the elders of the church uh, to come up. So Brent and Kevin and Derek. And um, I, I just want to say this. And this may seem really weird to you because it's like, oh my gosh, really, are we going to do this? Um, and I'll just say, we, we started this in my, in, in my last church, and we really saw God just break loose a lot of things in people's lives, break a lot of sin in people's lives, and also just bring forth a ton of blessing. And so they're going to go ahead and turn out the lights because we're going to have a, a moment of reflection Um, and also through a a time of of confession and response. And if you are here today and there is something going on inside of you in some way, shape, or form, I and these four men would love to pray for you. We would love to talk to you. Anything you share with us will be be held in in confidence as long as it does not require us to break the law, okay? So don't expect any of those, but just got to qualify it in case. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, someone back here is going to play instrumentally. And so I just want you to just first ask yourself this question. And I'm going to talk in between, and you don't, ha- you, you don't have to look up. But at any point you want to come up and, and, be, and, and talk to one of these men, you can do so. But just as, um, as you're sitting there, is there something in your life this morning internally that you know is a sin that is weighing heavy upon your heart, that the Holy Spirit identified for you as I was reading his word and was preaching from this word this moment. If you know that there is something that needs to be dealt with this this morning, are you willing to confess that to someone beside you or to one of the pastors and elders who have been giving oversight over your souls? Are you willing, are you so tired of that sin that you're willing this morning to come and to allow them to pray over you this morning? So if any of you has any sin in your life that you really want to confess and have dealt with this morning, I want to invite you to come and to receive prayer from the elders of the church this morning.
Father, I thank you for the gift of repentance. For Father, those who would come forth this morning is truly a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That you would be so merciful to press upon the hearts of people their sin so that they could become clean. Father, though this is foreign and people are maybe weirded out and freaked out by this in the moment, I'm going to encourage the pastors and elders to stand up here and for people to come during the time of singing and in communion. For I know it is a frightful and a fearful thing to bring out of the darkness what we have in our hearts into the light. But God, I pray that you would assure those who are wrestling with and who are bound by sin in their own flesh this morning and by the power of Satan, I pray that you would let the light of Jesus break through and give them just a moment to feel the weightlessness of the freedom of walking in Christ as opposed to the weight of their sin which is dragging them down. And may they know that if they come this morning, they can experience freedom through the power of your Spirit, which desires to set all men, women, and children free from the tyranny of Satan. God, I thank you for those to whom you have granted the gift of repentance this morning. May they experience and feel your blessing this week and in powerful ways. And God, for those who are still wrestling with the sin in their heart, let them know this is a safe place. That here in this room, we stand as the chief of all sinners. That we are all on level ground at the foot of the cross. The only one who is above us and worthy is Jesus himself. God, be with us this week as we go out into the world and onto the campus. May we seek to build your kingdom in the classroom this week. May we seek to build the kingdom in our place of work. May we seek to build the kingdom everywhere we go. May we put your kingdom and your priorities first and foremost above everything else. And may God, may you so graciously in return, bless us beyond all we ask or imagine, emboldening our faith to take further and further steps with you in the building of your kingdom. And as you said in Haggai chapter 1, may we do all these things for the glory of your name, and for your good pleasure. For you are worthy of all of our honor and praise. It's in the great and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.